feel like I need to turn around or something and come back to you. It's no surprise anymore. I am running into a new year by Lucille Clifton. I am running into a new year, and the old years blow back like a wind that I catch in my hair, like strong fingers, like all my old promises. And it will be hard to let go of what I said to myself about myself when I was 16 and 26 and 36, even 36. But I am running into a new year, and I beg what I love and I leave to forgive me. Raise your hand if at some point this week you had to write the date on something and you found yourself writing an 18 instead of a 19. Did that happen to anyone? We got a few. Raise your hand if you made some kind of New Year's resolution this year. Did you get any New Year's resolution? Don't be shy. Okay, keep your hand raised if you've already broken it. <laughs> I don't even try anymore. <laughs> There's something about the secular New Year the way the calendar flips to a blank new page that inspires this drive in us to release who we have been and transform into these magical, shiny, very buff versions of ourselves. <laughs> and yet, there is always something that is pulling us back. Wind caught in our hair, strong fingers, old promises, that pesky eight our brain has yet to transform into nine. We cannot become radically different versions of ourselves come January 1st. We cannot shed the people we are and who we have been. And yet the beauty of Clifton's poem is that even as she runs forward into this new year, even as she releases the promises she has made, she acknowledges that there is space for softness in that release. What a great contrast this poem is to the narrative we read this week from our portion of Va'era. This is the second Parsha of the book of Exodus, this section of the story of our people's enslavement and eventual redemption from Egypt focuses on Moses' attempt to convince Pharaoh to release, let my people go. The bulk of the portion is all about the first seven of the ten plagues, from turning the Nile into blood to a rain of fiery hail. And much as these plagues make for a very lively Passover Seder or an excellent Rugrats TV special, I hope you've all seen that. <laughs> Many people find this portion of our Torah to be a little troubling. What kind of a God needs to redeem people through violence? And more concerning, what kind of a God will predict that Pharaoh's heart will be hardened? And then on the occasions that it is not, 
hardens that heart intentionally. It seems that no one in this portion can let anything go, not Pharaoh and not even God. But I would contend that looking more deeply at the language around Pharaoh's heart can teach us a softer approach to this portion, to divinity, and to ourselves. There is a pattern to the way these plagues play out for the Egyptians and their ruler. Moses or Aaron will often give a warning of the upcoming plague. Pharaoh ignores it. The plague appears. The Egyptians suffer. Pharaoh begs Moses to pray to reverse the plague. The plague's reversed. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And there's a common misconception that every time that happens, it's God who does it to Pharaoh a way of proving supremacy over the lesser Egyptian deities through these continued signs and wonders. And it's true, God does predict to Moses that this will be the turn of events. But many of the times that Pharaoh stubbornly refuses to let the children of Israel go, it is a stiffening of his own making, human hardening rather than divine. The first moment we see this is when Moses and Aaron come before Pharaoh's court, and to prove God's might, they throw down their walking sticks to become snakes. Well, Pharaoh's magicians can also do such a thing. And by the way, if you're looking for the world's greatest cinematic representation of this scene, look no further than the great American classic, The Prince of Egypt, which you also should all watch. So because Pharaoh believes his magicians are as mighty as Moses and Aaron, the text reads that his heart is strengthened, yechazak lev paro. And when this happens, God says to Moses, kaved lev paro. Literally, Pharaoh's heart is heavy. Throughout the text, we will continue to see this language. Pharaoh's heart heavies itself. I wonder if Pharaoh, at this confrontation with a new future, one which he seems to be hurtling toward, is ultimately doomed to failure because he refuses to release. Not just the Israelites, but the heaviness on his own heart. The heaviness of fear of the responsibilities of authority, of stubbornly clinging to the way it has been because he sees no other way out. Are we not in our own lives often like Pharaoh? Do we not heavy our hearts by clinging to the people we have been, the false promises we made to ourselves, or by trying to erase the fullness of who we are because we fear it is not enough? Pharaoh has not yet learned the lesson that Clifton seeks to teach. The lesson we ought to apply to any of the flawed characters in our portion, even to God. The gentleness of release. Begging what we love and what we leave to forgive us. And should we feel, at this turning of the year, that we, like Pharaoh, are stuck in our ways? that we carry too much heaviness into 2019. The Hebrew language offers us a stunning possibility. 
Kaved, the word God uses to describe Pharaoh's heavy, stubborn heart, comes from the same root as kavod, glory, honor, respect. Though Pharaoh is unable, it is possible for us to turn heaviness into honor by using Clifton, by using that possibility of redemption as our guide. We do not abandon ourselves at 16, 26, 36. We merely abandon the words we said, which no longer serve us. We do not ignore the violence of the God in our text. We merely pry open the grip of that violence to see what glory lies within. The same can be true of our own lives. And as the Israelites do, when they rush their way into freedom, when they run into that new year, we ought to pack gently, lightly. May we leave in this year what is heavy behind. <laughs>